In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So early this last week, I got the flu. Our house had it. Uh, we're getting through it. I'm sure many of you houses, your houses have experienced this as well. Apparently this is a big ec- epidemic this year. When I got the flu, I realized I had to clear out my schedule. I had to make time for the recovery. All these things that I had planned to do, these appointments that I had made, they all had to get reshuffled, kick the can down the road, have to deal with it later. And that was very hard for me because I planned things out very well, I think. And I make my schedule and I have all of my appointments and everything is just so. And then this comes along. It just throws a wrench in everything. And I must confess to you that I had a little bit of a panic attack early on because I was thinking, I'm going to have to do all of this at some point down the road. And I don't have time for when I'm going to do it down the road. Of course, I got a hold of myself. My wife helped me. But what I realized through this is that I lived so much of my life in a self-sufficient way. The things that I do in my life, I do them as I decide them, how I'm going to do them, what I think is best. Of course, giving uh, you know, thanks to God and thanking Him for the ability to do these things. But pretty much I do my own things. And something like the sickness, which is small, it's small. I know that so many of you have much greater physical ailments that you deal with or tragedies in your life. But I use this small example. It reminds me that I'm not self-sufficient. The glaring truth is that I'm not self-sufficient. It's my delusion. But for much of my life I say, I can do it myself. God wants me to, I say, because he's given me the tools that I need to go about my life, so I should be doing it myself, right? Does this sound familiar to any of us? My wife, she says, uh, there's a a well-known saying in her family, when she was a little kid, she was as little as three or four years old, and she would say, I can do it myself. And I hear that voice in my head so often. That sort of defiant little child saying, I can do it myself. And that's my voice. It's my voice. Because when I'm faced with a situation where it really is hard to do it myself, I still want to hold on to that. I still want that to be the way in which I cope, in which I get by. And we have all had experiences where that doesn't work. And yet we keep picking ourselves back up and trying again. I can do it myself. I can do it myself. You know whose voice that is. It's the voice of the serpent in the garden. You can do it yourself. You can do it yourself. Sure, God gave you all of these things. Everything around you. But you know this one right here? Then you'll be like God. Then you can do it yourself. Eat of that tree. This is the voice that we have inherited in our own lives. 
because we are sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. This is that voice that we listen to again and again and again. I can do it myself. And yet God gave us everything. Because in fact, that voice of I can do it myself is actually defiance. Did you think about that? You can hear it in the little girl saying, I can do it myself. But for ourselves, are we willing to see that? Are we willing to admit that it is our defiance? No, I will do it myself. This is the way that I want to do it. This is how I will do it. Self-sufficiency is a delusion. Self-sufficiency is a delusion. Why? Because God has given us everything. We are dependent. We are dependent. We are not independent. We are dependent. There's only one who's truly self-sufficient. And that's Christ. God alone is self-sufficient. Because God does not depend upon anything. And what do we see today? The God who is utterly self-sufficient is being held as an infant in other people's arms, being handed around in the temple. This is our Lord, the only one who is self-sufficient, humbles himself to this state. He becomes that 40-day-old baby held within the church. In fact, today in the temple is a gathering of people who have humbly submitted themselves to God, who have said, no, I'm not independent. If you looked at the icon when you came in today, there's Joseph, and he's the one who was going to go leave his betrothed, and yet an angel came to him. And so he said, no, I won't. I will stay with her, because this is God's will. And then we have the Panagia, most importantly, may it be done according to your word. She is the one who humbled herself, became the new Eve, to say, no, I won't do it myself. I will do it according to your will. And then there's Anna, the prophetess, who spent most of her life in the temple praising God, praying, worshiping, fasting, devoting herself to God. And then there's the righteous Simeon. Let me just read a little bit about the life of Simeon. Ancient historians tell us that the Egyptian pharaoh Ptolemy Philadelphus, who was in 285 BC, wished to include texts of Holy Scripture in the famous Library of Alexandria. He invited scholars from Jerusalem and the Sanhedrin sent their wise men. The righteous Simeon was one of the 70 scholars who came to Alexandria to translate the Holy Scriptures into Greek. The completed work was called the Septuagint and is the version of the Old Testament used by the Orthodox Church. St. Simeon was translating a book of the prophet Isaiah and read the words, Behold, a virgin shall conceive in the womb and shall bring forth a son. Isaiah 7.14 He thought that virgin should be corrected to read woman. At that moment, an angel appeared to him and held back his hand, saying, 
You shall see these words fulfilled. You shall not die until you behold the Lord, the Christ the Lord, born of a pure and spotless virgin. From this day, St. Simeon lived in expectation of the promised Messiah. One day, the righteous elder received a revelation from the Holy Spirit and came to the temple, and it was on the very day, today, when the all-pure Virgin Mary and St. Joseph had come to the temple in order to perform the ritual prescribed by Jewish law. St. Simeon had devoted his long, long life in anticipation of the Messiah, placing his dependency upon, upon God. How long was he going to live? Who knows? It ended up being over 300 years waiting in anticipation for our Lord. Self-sufficiency is a delusion. There is no I did it. I spoke about this in my last homily. I did it. Because every time that I say I, I am robbing God. I am robbing Him. Why? Because it's His. He has done it through me. Everything in my life. So when I say I did it, or I can do it myself, I'm robbing from God. Could you imagine that kind of language from the Panagia? I can do it myself. I did it. I mean, it's heretical to even think of that. And this is our language. The week before this, I went to a marriage retreat, uh, or rather a retreat about challenges in marriage and how to pastor to those challenges. And there was a speaker, Deacon Stephen Muse, who's come to our parish before. And Deacon Stephen Muse was giving a wonderful talk on faith unashamed and love unfeigned within marriage. Deacon Stephen is a psychotherapist who's dedicated his life to working with people in need, especially within the Orthodox Church, but also within the military, people who have gone through post-traumatic stress. And I'll be talking more about his talk at Theology 101 today, so please come to that. But in his talk, he said, The path to faith unashamed and love unfeigned is the path away from self-sufficiency. The path to a faith unashamed and love unfeigned is the path away from self-sufficiency. How un-American is this? How very un-American. But this is our path. His next sentence was then, self-sufficiency is the path of addiction. That takes some pondering, doesn't it? Self-sufficiency is the path of addiction. Because you see, when we believe the delusion that we are self-sufficient, we have a problem. We're not. And so what happens? In a small scale to me this last week, I come face to face with the realization I'm not self-sufficient. I cannot control my own life. And so I face this, and what happens? In my case, it was a small panic attack. But what do we do in a macro scale in our lives? We turn to other things. This is how we get by in a life where we have to convince ourselves that we are self-sufficient. This is how we get by. 
I was talking with, in the Bible study the week before about this idea of our lives being where we're kind of swimming underwater and then we pop our heads up for a breath. And then we're underwater swimming and then we pop our heads up for a breath. And that breath could be anything. It could be vacation. We're just trying to get through our life until we can get to our vacation. Ah, oh, vacation. Okay, now back to my life. Ah, oh, vacation again. Oh, now back to my life. Or it's a drink. Or it's watching a show every single night. Or it's anything. It's Netflix. It's going on trips. It's whatever it may be. These are all addictions. And why are they addictions? Not that the thing in and of itself is bad. I mean, we're not talking about illegal drugs here. We're talking about things that we all do. The thing in and of itself is not bad. How does it become an addiction? Because it's the breath of fresh air that I must have. It's the way that I get through my day. It's the way that I survive. Listen to that language. And this is each and every one of us, and I am no different from this. And my own ways of popping my head up above are different than yours. But we all have these. We all have these. We're all like a bunch of breaststroke swimmers, trying to swim along as far as we can and pop up our head. But it's all in the wrong way. It's all in the wrong way. Because why? Because we can't handle not being self-sufficient. This is the root of it. If we truly recognize that I am not self-sufficient, if we truly placed our dependency upon God, then we wouldn't be trying to find these little quick fixes along the way, again and again and again, in so many different ways. We wouldn't be seeking those, because we have that nagging feeling, this isn't good enough. We even have the sayings like, I need a vacation after my vacation, right? It wasn't good enough. Why? Because I put everything into that. That is the solution to all of my anxiety, all of my fear, all of my stress. That's going to fix it. And it never does. And on a daily basis, what we do in our evenings, in our homes, what are these things that we do? They're all copings. Self-sufficiency is the path of addiction. And I know that language sounds very harsh, but I myself need to hear that. And we all need to hear that. Because these are the ways in which we are not in reality. My brothers and sisters, we all desire to have a full and complete life where we're not breathing in this strange way, popping our heads up and down. We desire to have a complete life where everything is a breath of fresh air. Everything is calmness. Everything is peace. And I tell you, there is only one solution to that. And we all know the solution. I don't even need to stand up here and tell you what it is. But I will. It's God. He is our solution. This is where we can find peace in our lives. No ups and downs, ups and downs. But we see this in the saints. They have tragedies come along and it just doesn't affect them the same. It does not affect them the same. Me, I have a flu and it's a tragedy. It's pathetic. This is where I'm at. But these are all indicators to us. If we don't take them as indicators, then we lose out. 
because I will tell you, God gave me my flu. He gave me my flu so that I can begin to see, wait, wake up, you're not self-sufficient. And he gives us these things throughout our lives. We have the ears to hear, the eyes to see. So that we may be able to turn, turn back to our Lord. And in him we will find that life of peace, of joy. Amen.